Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. This is Terrence Wilson, lead pastor of Cool Church. And we're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we want you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message with our very own Pastor Joanne Wilson. For those of you who don't know, my name is Joanne Wilson, and I serve in this place with my dear husband, Pastor Terrence. And I am so, so grateful to be here today with each and every one of you, my family. We love you, love you so much. And as we get started, I just want to preface this by saying that we are going to go through the next seven weeks going through the essentials. The essentials for us is what we're calling our core values. See, core values determine the culture. It expresses how we are to communicate with each other, how we are to be in a community with each other. And culture is developed by default or by design. And so we are very intentional about the things that we call our core values. And we are going to go ahead and express that over the next seven weeks. And we do this yearly because I believe repetition, this is what Pastor always says, Pastor Terrence, he always says repetition is reputation. And sometimes we need a little refresher to remind us of what we believe. And I know that we are in this new season of growth and there are a lot of people that God is sending to the house and there's a lot of new family that is coming into the fold and I think it is important that we are all on the same page because we are building something here in the kingdom of God that is solid and that is going to last. See, the goal is, is that this lasts for a long time, amen? And there are seven core values. And those values are love, family, generosity, excellence, honor, service, and creativity. And the first value that we are going to talk about today is love. We're going to unpack that. Amen? See, love governs all that we do. It confirms our identity. And it reminds us of who we are in Christ. See, love is the foundation for all the other values. See, the other values don't work without first love. Amen? And it's important for us to also say that these are not arbitrarily decided. The Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts about these core values, and they are all biblically blazed. We don't do opinion here. We do Bible here. Amen? So love is the foundation for all the other values. And as we go into this, I want to put to the top of your head, in your mind, that love is action, identity, and person. And we're going to go through those things as we navigate God's word today. Y'all love the word of God in this place? I believe that God is going to do something different today. And so thank you, sir, for those keys, because the presence of God is flowing through this place. Amen? Even through you guys. We love y'all so much, and we love how God is using you. Let's give it up for our band. Thank you. 
so to start, the Bible teaches us what love is, what agape love is, and what it's not in 1 Corinthians 13. But before we dig in, I just want to say this, that love is love is this phrase that has been adopted in the world, and it I've even heard some believers, some actual professed believers adopt this term or this phrase, love is love. And it's not what the Bible says about love. See, there are four types of love that are expressed through Greek language in the Bible. And we see that in the New Testament. And it's storage love, which is affection, which talks about affection. There's philia, which talks about friendship. There is... Eros, which is more of the romantic, erotic love that is expressed. And then there's agape, which is charity, the love of charity. And it is also expressed as the love of God, perfect love. Each of these are distinct and they're applied differently. Love is not love. You do not love your favorite food in the same way that you love your best friend. You don't love your pet in the same way that you love your children, although some arguably do. So let's say your spouse, hopefully. God's love for us is agape. Agape love. It is the purest and most unconditional form of love. Therefore, one love is not necessarily equal to another love. And the type of love that love and love, love is love implies, twists biblical teaching. We have to stop allowing the world to define spiritual things. Love is biblical. And it's taught to us in many different scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation, if you haven't already picked up on that. But let's look at what love is and is not in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. But if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Let's go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not honor uh, dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Come on. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where are the prophecies, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. See here, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church. And from the context that we can draw from the verses, we can see that there must have been some public some public demonstration of spiritual gifts happening in the church. See, the Corinthian church, they were very fascinated with showing off. 
showing off their spirituality and that God was with them and they were very showy. And so in this time, when Paul is addressing this and he is, he is, he's talking about these verses, what he's doing is he is dispelling these ideas of grandeur that people had in the Corinthian church. See, a lot of them, some of them had different gifts, right? And because some of the gifts were more publicly seen and visible, such as prophesying or speaking in tongues, they began to put levels on it. They began to say, oh, some spiritual gifts are more spiritual than others. And so people would lord those gifts and walk around like they were better than other people within the church because they were given certain gifts. But all gifts in the, house, in the kingdom are valuable. Amen? And he gives each and every one of us a different gift. Some of us have multiple gifts, but that does not make us better than one another. So when we get to verse 13 in, in Corinthians, we're reading the corrected misunderstandings of those people in the church. And Paul was addressing all of those things. Paul is emphasizing that spiritual gifts without love are useless. And they're useless because the focus becomes on the person and less about God. See, spiritual gifts have specific purposes for the purposes of God. And so when we use those gifts to promote ourselves, that's where we misuse those gifts and that's what he's saying. And he even says that you can have all the faith in the world, all the faith, faith which is great, but without love you're nothing. Everything that we do must flow from the heart. The true love of the Bible is not merely emotional. It's a daily choice of selfless actions. Love is action. And if there was one person that I really could name that really embodied love and action in their lives, like they love others, would be my mother. My mother, Anne Frank, recently passed away at the end of last year, so it is very fresh still. And I often think of her, just her life and what she meant to me. And yes, of course, I'm still grieving, but God is with me, and God gives me the strength, and the Holy Spirit has comforted my heart. And I can rest assured knowing that she lived a life full, with, full of love, loving people. And she always encouraged us to love one another, love others. Her motto was the sense of others. She always talked about the sense of others, which was about giving to others and loving others no matter what. And I watched my mother love the unlovable. I watched her love prisoners watched her do that. She would go and she would minister to men and women in prisons all the time. She would pick people up off of the streets and orphans. We've watched her do that. Loved orphanage, I mean, orphans, and she had an orphanage in Haiti. 
And I watched her even love those who didn't deserve her love, those who hurt her. I watched her love her enemies. It was such a powerful thing to see, and I believe that is her biggest legacy. She left a legacy of love. That's a powerful legacy to leave, amen? And so when I think of her, I always know that there are two things that Miss Anne Frank is going to have on her, and that is a scarf and some pearls. Do I have some people in this place who would know her and that say that? I know there's a few, right, Josh? Pearl, she loved her pearls. And I brought her pearls today. And I love to see them, and I love, you know, how I remember how she would wear them, and she was what they call very coquette. She would walk around like really just, she loved, she thought she was Princess Diana. She just loved it all. It was so cute. But I love pearls and I love their iridescence and how each one seems to be unique. And so as I was, I pulled them out, the Lord had me pull them out in preparation for today. And... I was like, wow, I wonder how pearls are made. And so how many of y'all know sometimes you go into this rabbit hole, this Google rabbit hole of certain things. So I went into the rabbit hole of how pearls are made. And now I realize how appropriate it was that pearls were her favorite. See, most jewelry is made out of a stone or, or precious metals. They're, they're found buried in the earth. And they have to be cut or polished for us to see their beauties. But pearls are found inside of living things. And no skill of man can perfect the pearl. It comes out precious the way that we see it in its form. It doesn't require man's touch to become precious. Come on, some of y'all already getting this. They're found inside oysters, which are living, and they're a result of a biological reaction. It's the oyster's way of protecting itself against foreign objects biological objects specifically. This process is triggered, the, pearl, the pearlization, when, when, when that happens in an oyster, it's triggered, tri come on girl, triggered when a parasite or a worm, in other words, a living parasite or a living intruder enters into the shell. And the irritant, when it enters into the oyster shell, the oyster begins to wrap that parasite in layers and layers of nacre. Nacre is aragonite and something called conchylion. Lord, what a word, right? And so what I'm saying is that the natural pearl is formed in the oyster as a result of a parasitic intruder. It's interesting that the oyster does not try to push out the parasite. It doesn't try to fight the parasite. Instead, 
said it wraps a beautiful substance from within around the irritant and makes it become something new, something beautiful, something value. Oh, do I have some people in this place who can see God's perfect design in the pearl watching? He shows us. He is showing us through his creation how he does not push us away, but yet he wraps us in his love. Amen? So many of us have allowed the irritants of life to invade the sacred space of our heart. And if we do not wrap it in love, which is already inside of us, those irritants will cause us to become invaluable to the kingdom. We are called to wrap, wrap with love. Because love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Some of us need to wrap love around those negative people in our lives, around the haters. Some of us need to wrap love around those who have hurt us, wrap love around those who have disappointed us, wrap love around those who have betrayed us. Oh, I know it's not easy, but we're not called to easy, we're called to love. We need to wrap love around those that makes us angry. Some of us need to wrap love around our own negative thinking. Love doesn't always, it never pushes. It wraps around. The Bible says it covers a multitude of sin. We got to live to love. And in case you didn't already catch it, that is the title of today's message. Live to love. Imagine how much more a person would respect and love you when you show them love when they don't deserve it. We serve a God that restores what's broken, brings things back to life, renames, reclaims, redefines by the power of his love. In Luke 7... The Bible says a sinful woman learns that Jesus is having a meal at a Pharisee's house. And so she says, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to go see Jesus. And the Bible says that the woman bought, brought with her an alabaster jar of expensive perfume and stood behind Jesus at his feet crying. She began to wash his feet with her tears and she dried them with her hair kissing them many times and rubbing them with the perfume. And the Pharisees were outraged at this display. But then Jesus turns to her and says to Simon the Pharisee, he says, do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but she's been kissing my feet since I came here. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. I tell you that her many sins are forgiven. So she showed great love. But the person who is forgiven only a little will only love a little. And then Jesus said to her, you are forgiven. Oh my gosh. 
You show people love even when they don't deserve it. See, I love that Jesus didn't go through her sin. She didn't have to give a record of it. They didn't have a back and forth about the things that she did. She just loved. And he invited her to love. He didn't push her away. Amen? When we remember that we didn't deserve his love or forgiveness, yet he continues to give it to us. That should compel us to love others better. Amen? We can respond with love and change the dynamic of our relationships. We can change the dynamic of our feelings towards one another when we remember that. We can overcome fear and anger and most importantly, we can forgive. See, love activates the power of forgiveness. Amen? Yes, that person hurt you. Yes, that person was mean and inconsiderate. Yes, that person is different, maybe even annoying. But we're called to love them in spite of it all because we need each other. What if we became people that instead of reacting with hate, anger, and impatience, that we would bring kindness and love to one another? That's how we would live to love. See, the real fight is not with each other, it's with Satan love one another we ain't got time to fight each other because we got a real fight in front of us amen? amen we gain more power when we unite in love we're stronger together see here's the thing watch this y'all you know how the oysters defend themselves against prey they bind together and they create a wall the wall is impenetrable and guess what that wall begins to create an ecosystem for other living organisms in the ocean to live and to thrive oh what if we were to unite together and create this impenetrable wall of love amongst each other that can change our communities change our families change this city change this country and change this world see together when we unite our love is indestructible come on see the enemy wants us to fight each other so that we're not on guard and so that he can attack when we're not paying attention he wants to distract us with offense he wants us to distract us with oh I can't believe this one did that to me we ain't got time to fight each other we ain't got time to operate with the spirit of offense because it leaves us off guard from an enemy who is very real and wants to come at us at every angle. Together, we can watch each other. We surround each other. We love each other. Amen? Satan and his demonic works and minions are the real opposition. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Love is our greatest weapon against his schemes. Amen? Love is action. But love is also identity. Everybody say it with me. Love is identity. Our actions come from our heart. And our identity is based in Jesus. And Jesus instructs us to love our enemies. Matthew 5, 43. If you, you have heard it said that love your neighbor and hate your enemies but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you 
that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Underline that, circle that, highlight that in your Bible, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Others' translations say, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Another translation says, for then when you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves, this is what God does. In other words, love is identity. And to be honest, I've always been challenged by that scripture because I'm like, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Like, why, God? I don't want to. <laughs> Sometimes we be acting like children, don't we? How can we love our enemies? How could I love a person like that or a person that did that to me? How could I even love a stranger? The why is in our identity. Why would we love our enemies? Because it's our identity. The how is with the help of the Holy Spirit. Our identity has been determined by God. When we become sons and daughters of Christ through love, we become a new version of ourselves. On our own, loving others, especially enemies, is not possible. But with the Spirit of God, we can not only thrive, we can not only grow, but we can love even our enemies. He's calling us to do the hard thing that we cannot do without the Holy Spirit. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit to live out our Christ-centered lives. That is why when we receive Christ into our lives, immediately the Holy Spirit is activated inside of us so that we can walk out the Christian life, which involves loving our enemies. Amen? We need the power of the Holy Spirit every day, every moment to love others. We need the power to overcome the flesh because the flesh wants to be filled and consumed with pride. The Spirit is free to love. Amen? I love Matthew 46, 546. It says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does that tell us? It tells us that love distinguishes us. When we love our enemies, we become, when we don't love our enemies, we become indistinguishable as children of God. I was recently in, in New York, I'm a Brooklyn girl, and I mean, I've been here long enough to say, okay, I live here, but I still, when you're a New Yorker, you, you're a New Yorker till you die. But, um, so I was driving around New York and I was specifically in Chinatown. And I remember stopping at a stoplight and looking over at the sidewalk and there was like a whole bunch of just designer bags on the sidewalk and people were selling them and looking at them and they looked pretty good from at a glance. But the more I started to stare at them, the more I started to see that these were fakes. I could spot the fakes. You see, the material wasn't popping. It wasn't right. 
the logos were a little lopsided. It just ain't look right. And I was like, you can see that that is not the real thing. I believe that when we don't love our enemies, we become fake copies of sons and daughters of Christ. You see, our identity is based in him. When we don't love our enemies, we just don't smell right. We don't speak right. We ain't, we ain't living right. It, ain't, it just don't feel right. And people could see that. We even know that inside of us, don't we? Don't settle to be a replica of a son and daughter of Christ. You are a son and daughter of the most high God. And you have been called to higher things. Loving your enemy distinguishes you as a child of God. Amen? It's all about our identity. It's easy to love those who love you. You don't get a participation trophy for loving those that love you, right? And I love that the scripture even talks about, and, and mind you, this is Matthew, who's a tax collector, and he likens those people who are pretty much like nothing or the most selfish or prideful people as tax collectors. So he's referring to who he was, which is kind of funny in itself. But he's saying not even the most selfish people not even the, self, the most selfish people withstand or withhold loving people who love them. They don't do anything different. You're not doing anything worthy by loving those who love you. God rewards us when we love our enemies because it is the harder thing to do. And I want to go back to that verse 48 where it says be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect don't get it twisted we're not called to be perfect perfect in the sense that we don't make mistakes see perfect comes from the greek word teleos and it means a complete complete in all its parts it means full grown it means mature we are being called to grow and mature as sons and daughters of Christ. One of the greatest signs of our growth and maturity in the faith is not how well we sing during worship, not how well we say our these and thous and uh, recite scripture, and our theology doesn't determine our maturity in Christ and how we look and all of that. What determines our maturity and our growth in our faith walk is how well we can love others. You might sound great and know every scripture, but do you love your enemies? You over here looking, Pastor Terrence, you look good. All right, he wearing his suit and his no-show socks, the ankles is out, and he was profiling. That's great. But if he doesn't love his enemies, then all of that means nothing. And so let us be people who live out this thing the right way and who are true sons and daughters of Christ that are able to do the hard thing that we've been called to do. Amen? No fakes in this place. See, 
The Bible tells us in Proverbs 25, 21 through 23, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. The Lord will reward us when we love our enemies. Do I have some people in this place who want the reward that the Lord has for us? Oh, y'all... Y'all don't seem like some people who want the Lord's reward. I know I do. Come on. Give him some praise in this place. Yes. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, love is proof of identity. Love proves that we are who we say we are in Christ. The Bible tells us to bless those who curse you. Watch this, y'all. Why is that so important? The bless, when, we, when, when somebody curses us, I want to really talk about what that means. I ain't talking about those fancy four-letter words now, although it could be a part of that. Bless those who curse you. To break the curse on you, you have to bless because that blessing can break the power of that curse. It breaks the bondage. The word most frequently translated for bless in the Hebrew root is barak. Barak. It can be used in a very general way to mean, uh, to say or wish good things about someone or something. So it's a good they bless, right? More specifically in formal context is it places someone in God's favor under his protection. Now one of the most verbal root words used for curse is arar. And it's recognized as the opposite of bless. So watching now. Curse here does not mean to cast a magical spell. That's not what we're talking about here. It means to feel or express hate towards someone. So when your haters curse you, when those that are your enemies curse you, you are to bless them. Why? Because the blessing, see, when we go back to that, to, to that Hebrew breakdown of Barak, the blessing means someone means that God will invoke his, his protection and his favor will be activated in your life. And so when you curse somebody, you are removing that favor and that covering over somebody. Some of y'all in here have been freed by Christ, but you have allowed the curses of other people to keep you in bondage. You are already free, but you've allowed those curses to wrap you up for many, many years and you've held those things that people said to you or did to you and now your heart has become bitter and I'm here to say, bless your enemies and break the curse for you do not belong in bondage. Be free today. See, when you bless your enemies, you free your heart. Don't allow what somebody did to you five minutes ago or five years ago to harden your heart. Because God can't operate through a hardened heart. I'm here today to speak life over you. I believe too many of us have allowed bitterness to harden our heart. And the word is release it. 
release a blessing over the curse in Jesus' name. Don't allow those who have cursed you to remove God's protection and favor from your life. When somebody curses you, you bless them to cancel the curse. The clap back ain't worth the bitter heart. Don't clap back. Bless up. Bless up. Bless up. Getting back at them is not worth losing the covering. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's going to worry about the justification that is owed through this offense that was given or made towards you. You worry about reconciliation. But the things that come out of the heart, out of the mouth, come from the heart. When you retaliate, you invite the seed of bitterness to take root into your heart. And unfortunately for some of us, we've already allowed that. But in Jesus' name, we're going to break that root, pull it up from the depths of our hearts in Jesus' name. Do I have some people in this place who believe that? Bless those enemies. Bless those who curse you. Bless the supervisor that gives you a hard time every day. Bless the one that threw you under the bus at work. Bless the man or woman who broke your heart years and years ago. Bless, bless the brother that stole from you. The sister that might have stole from you. Bless those who curse you because of the color of your skin. We got a lot of that happening. Even then. Because when you bless them, you're doing the will of God. But, and when you are in his will, you are under his protection. And when you're under his protection, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It can try, but it will not prosper in Jesus' name. Do I have some people in this place who do not want to lose that covering and that protection that the Most High God gives us? Bless them. Bless your enemies. I speak Romans 8.28 over our hearts today and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Don't look for the clap back. Look for the reconciliation. It's not your job to judge the offense. You're called to live to love because love is our identity. Amen? And lastly, as the band comes back, Love is a person. Everybody say, love is a person. We serve a God who is love and who loves us even though we betrayed him through our own sin. That should keep us humbled. Amen? The Bible says anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is a person. See, love began with God when he created the world in us and with us and, uh, and us. Without him, there would be no love in the world because the source of love is him, right? And the cross of Jesus is the greatest demonstration of God's love for us. I want us to bow our heads as we consider these words. I love how Matthew 13, 45, 46 says it in the parable of the pearl of great price. It says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. 
See, this parable that Jesus told was about how much we, you and I, mean to God and how much Christ should mean to us. God's people are a pearl of great price. We are his inheritance and his jewels. And Christ was willing to give everything, even his life, to redeem us for eternal life with the Father in heaven. Revelation 21, John writes of 12 gates, of 12 pearls. And at each of the gates was made with a single pearl. Theologians express that the pearl is a symbol of the Christians becoming of them overcoming the things of this world. The pearly gates denote purity and preciousness of Christ by whom all saints can enter those gates. That is why we get that term, the pearly gates. So it is because of our relationship with Christ that we have access to the kingdom of God. You see, when sin entered the world, there needed to be a sacrifice for the remission, remission of those sins. See, because the wages of sin is death. Meaning sin is death. And in order for us to have life, something had to die. Someone had to die for that sin. And because of his love for us, God provided the perfect sacrifice. That sacrifice was Jesus. And when we acknowledge his death in our hearts, and we acknowledge that he has died for our sins, and we believe it with everything in us, we are saved. That's what salvation is all about. But watch this. Salvation is a picture of Jesus making pearls out of humanity. Instead of pushing us away, Jesus make pearls out of us. We were literally created out of his love for us. And he wraps up his love all over us. Amen. Jesus died for love so that we can live to love. Thank you so much for tuning in. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends and family to be a blessing to their lives as well. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.